you know, the, the big one was people getting upset about Iceman being coming out. And I was like, first of all, who, who are the big Iceman fans? Because I've been an X-Men fan my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> And I've never had somebody be like, oh, yeah, the character that I love the most of all the X-Men, mm -hmm. arguably like a bunch of the coolest characters ever, is the guy that turned to ice, who, is, who gets a degree in accounting and lives on Long Island. You are listening to Geekdom in Powers. Hello and welcome back. My name is Guy Hasson and this is Geekdom in Powers, the podcast that highlights the things which are less highlighted in the geek world. You'll find this episode continues the trend of the last few episodes in which a conversation about one thing becomes a much deeper and more amazing discussion than anything we had any right to expect. Today's guest is Pierce Leiden, who has been writing for Games Radar and Userama for almost a decade. I originally approached him because he wrote two pieces I wanted to talk about here. One is about the 10 best comic stories of the Black Widow, which, you know, the movie just came out. I think most people don't know anything about her or, or don't know much about her. I thought that would be very interesting. And the other article was about the most iconic LGBTQIA plus superheroes in comic books. We certainly did cover this uh, in a big way, but the conversation was so much better and covered so much more than I'd expected or had any reason to suspect it would be really awesome. So let's just get to it. Here is the interview with Pierce Leiden. We'll start with it because the, the movie just came out about the Black Widow. Uh, you had something covering with the 10 best Black Widow stories. So for those of us who have heard of her, but don't really, haven't really read a lot of her, her comics. Can you just give us a kind of uh, overview or what's been yeah, happening sure. there or like uh, the history? Sure. So, uh, you know, so basically I've been writing for Games Radar, Newsarama for about, uh, ooh, I guess, what is it, 2021? I guess it'll be 10 years next year. Uh, and so I do a lot of these sort of like, you know, stories you might have missed. And Black Widow's a really interesting one because she's always been, she's sort of always been like a bit character kind of in the background, always in the shadow of bigger spy characters, sort of like Nick Fury, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously with the MCU and Scarlett Johansson playing the character, people have been like, well, what's her deal? Um, and uh, so, yeah, so we did the, uh, we did the best, the best Black Widow comics of all time. Uh, my favorite being uh, Devin Grayson, who is a hugely underrated, hugely underrated writer for both Marvel and DC, um, uh, the It's Bitsy Spider, um, which, you know, it's a, it's a combo of a spy story and a superhero story, which is, I think, really where Black Widow kind of, that's where she fits best. That probably sounds obvious to say, right? Because she's a super spy. Um, but there's a, I, I think one of the interesting things with her with, you know, so she's she's got this like red room background, this, uh, you know, sort of like uh, Russian super soldier uh, sort of background. And like, 
one of the things, and, and then we, we touch on this in MCU and in, in Age of Ultron with the sort of like her like kind of lost past, right? Um, and there's a sort of unreality about her and sort of a, a sort of like existential crisis about Black Widow that I think is really interesting. And I think that um, Itsy Bitsy Spider, this Devin Grayson story really gets to the heart of that, or at least tries to explore that. Um, I think in superhero stories, we tend to, I think the reason people really relate to them is because they are always, they're almost always stories about identity. And Natasha is a character who struggles with what that means, right? Um, there are there are other Black Widows. There are, you know, um, and obviously because it's comic books, there's clones and, and scrolls and doppelgangers. And so in a world where, in a world where, you, you know, and I guess this is a little similar to Wolverine, right? In a world where you kind of like can't really put a finger on your past and figure out exactly what that is and what that means. And when you can be kind of copied so easily, um, like who are you and what does that mean? And so I think, you know, going through that sort of best Black Widow stories list, it's a lot of, it's a lot of that, you know, how are you a non-superpowered person in a world of superheroes? How are you as somebody with this like kind of uh, I don't know, tough past where you've done maybe horrible things? Um, and how do you how do you reconcile that with your 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 super heroic identity and your superhero friends? And, um, you know, how do you stand up to gods and monsters when you're just a human being? Um, so I guess why that's you, not really. Why do you really think you survived this long? Like uh, she was in the beginning, right? I remember like uh, Hawkeye was a bad guy when the Avengers were formed, and she was uh, a villain, and he saved her, and then somehow she they turned and they became the Avengers. Yeah, she she de- debuts back in Tales of Suspense in the '60s, and obviously for the era, the super spy thing, James Bond, et cetera, et cetera, pretty popular. Um, but I think that she's maintained. Unfortunately, I think it's partly because. Uh, female characters are unfortunately few and far between um, at least like ones that seem to have like a sense of history and that's changing slowly but I mean you can kind of like out if you if you take the x-men off the board right because there are so many women uh, mm-hmm. that are part of the x-men it, there's only like a handful of characters. obviously somebody's gonna get mad at me saying that right that there's only a handful of female characters that are like that are worthwhile, but like, I'm pretty sure that like, not a lot of people are gonna be able to name the original Valkyrie, you know, like Barbara Norris, you know, but I mean, like what you have She-Hulk, Black Widow, Valkyrie, um, you know. So I think that she's stuck around for so long, partly because she's like proven herself, partly because you'd have those stories that I think writers have been really um, smart to put her in stories where she has like a lot of weight, right? Like. She's in, uh, what is it, like Uncanny X-Men 275 with, uh, with Wolverine and, and Captain America, right? Right on the cover, Jim Lee cover. I might, I might have gotten the issue number wrong. But you just go, oh, they have shared history. She's a badass. The other characters respect her, even though we don't, she's, we don't know that much about her past or she doesn't know that much about her past. These other characters trust her. Um, and so I think that that's, that's kind of one of the sticking points, one of the things that lets her kind of stick around. I think right now, it's again, the same sort of thing where the MCU really has a dearth of female characters who are doing anything, right? There's not really any, I mean, outside of Wanda and now Captain Marvel and, you know, it's getting better, but, um, you know, Widow's just kind of been around and been there. And, and even in the MCU, she gets sort of introduced 
as this spy character where she's like not quite what she seems, you know, we can't really trust her right away. Um, and I think that that's fun too. So I think that it's the mystery that surrounds her that kind of keeps her going. And she's a very flexible character in the sense that like you could tell like a lot of different stories with her and, and do what the Marvel universe tends to do best. You know, one of my favorite things about the Marvel universe is the tagline is the, you know, it's the world outside your window. And the idea that even more so than a character like Spider-Man who, I mean, I love Spider-Man. I live in Queens, but like, I'm never going to get spider powers, but I relate to him as somebody who like lives in New York, but it's easy to relate to Black Widow as as the human amongst, uh, again, like literal gods, essentially, you know, and technological marvels and, and to and the uh, I don't know, have the, the strength and wherewithal to keep going back. Right. She could quit at any time, but she continues um, is 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 inspiring. And I think that that's that really shows the best of what I mean, Marvel. I think Marvel more a little more than D.C. as much as I love D.C. Uh, I think the Marvel characters are very much when the chips are down, what are you going to do? You know, when everything's up against, when, when, when everything seems futile, um, Marvel characters, I think have a little bit more that humanity to like persevere. And I think Black Widow is a, a great example of that. I'm with you on this. I think the, in, in its core, Marvel is about humans. It's about yeah. human dramas, human dilemmas. And in its core, DC is about gods, Superman and Batman and Green Lantern, and, you know, all the all those characters. Spider-Man had to had, had to take care of Aunt May and the boy that should have a heart attack or something. And Superman didn't really. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that there's definitely like, you know, I, I right now the conversation, especially as Marvel movies and even DC movies and superheroes have become so so much a part of the mainstream is like superheroes are a modern mythology superheroes are this and it's like well they are and they aren't i mean at the end of the day what they are is i think the best the best stories and, and this goes for dc too because you know while those while superman and batman and wonder woman um are not attainable goals right like you can't become those characters in the way that you probably could become iron man at some point in the future <laughs> um uh you know, I think that the superheroes are not so much modern mythology as they are just like, I, I don't know, they're almost like just aspirational. And I don't think, I don't, cause I don't think mythology was always aspirational, but I, I think that superheroes are real, people are really relating to them because I think especially now with the world and I mean, especially this last year, right? Uh, we, we, we go through a global pandemic and everybody's lives are, turned upside down and what do we have we have these stories of people who are persevering despite the fact that um everything's against them you know i i think a few years ago i had like a small project where i asked people who like comic books how they were empowered by comics which is why this is called by the way geekdom empowers and i was shocked by how much uh people were empowered you could see that Black children were empowered by blacks, the, the few black superheroes that existed. They felt if they could be good and if they could be powerful, I could be that. Little girls were empowered by the fact that, you know, they were girls, superheroes, very few again. Uh, but it changed people's lives. And if you read, by the way, uh, 
uh, JMS's uh, autobiography, uh, Becoming Superman, how his horrible childhood, like Dickensian childhood, uh, was held together partly because he read Superman comics and he wanted to become as strong as Superman inside, but he wanted to, to be this ideal of a truth teller, a truth seeker, and a justice seeker. And I think comic books change, they really do empower children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they make them think that they can become great things, which is why representation is so important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's, you know, uh, you know, you really hit the nail on the head with that, like representation. I I think, obviously, it's become a very buzzwordy kind of thing. Obviously, it doesn't get done well all the time. Um, But I but like, the fact that, you know, I have so many friends with kids now, and it's so fun to see how they interact with these characters that I've loved since I was like, you know, so little. And for me, it was my dad just buying me a bunch of comics and being like, I don't know, here, here's a bunch of comics, right? And, uh, and he's like, I grew up with comics, you can have some comics, here you go. And for these kids, like, they get to see like, movies like Into the Spider-Verse and to these little kids, like Spider-Man's not Peter Parker, he's Miles Morales, you know? And like, that's so cool, you know? Um, the amount of people that I've had conversations with about Spider-Gwen rather than Spider-Man, you know, is so cool. Uh, and, and I think that that's, that's the thing is like, I just got chills thinking about it because, you know, one of the things what I, I, I grew up a Marvel zombie, like total, I don't like DC. I've watched the Batman animated series, but that's it. Um, and one of the things when I was in college, I was, you know, one of my professors, we were talking about comics for some reason, cause I think he was reading something before class. We started talking about Superman and I was like, oh, I don't like Superman. He, he just has all the powers. I don't get it. Um, what's the point? Where, what's, where's, the, where's the conflict? And, at, and he, goes, he goes, honestly, just as you get older, you're just going to understand it more and more. It's like read some super, Superman comics. And, and I didn't know what he meant. And then I started reading it. And also Superman is, a, is a, probably like a... That, that's like a comfort book for me. I go back to that constantly mm-hmm. because Superman is not about all the things he can do. It's about all the things he chooses not to do and the reasons that he does the things that he does do, right? And so, you know, in a weird way, I, I, mean, I guess it's, I guess I, I grew up in a very like religious household. And so my parents always had those like, what would Jesus do bracelets or whatever in like the late nineties, early 2000s. And I guess in a way I, I, I've since distanced myself from, from my parents' religion, but in a weird way, when I think about it, I'm like, what would Superman do? You know, like it, 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 it kind of fills a similar, a, a similar niche. And in a weird way, I'm like, I don't know. Superman's done a lot more cool shit than Jesus has <laughs> in some way, shape and form. Right. I don't see Jesus fighting Brainiac, but uh <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, it, that could be it, a comic book. Yeah, so. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Rob, Rob Liefeld did that new test. Didn't he do like a, a new Testament comic when everybody was like, Jesus was like super roided out. It was, it was pretty, pretty hilarious. But yeah, like, I, I don't know the fact that we get to see the, all these stories and, and like, also the fact, I mean, I, I don't know if we want to get into, did you watch Loki? Can we get into spoilers yes, for the Loki? No. 
Sure, it's over, so we can spoil it, sure. Okay, so like, you know, Kang shows up and Jonathan Majors is playing Kang, and I said to a buddy of mine, I was like, I was like, that means the Fantastic Four can be black. And he was like, why? And I was like, because that's Franklin Richards. I mean, it's Nathaniel, it's confusing, whatever, it's confusing. But like, I was like, he's a Richards, like he's a Richards. That means that like something like, like cool, like this is great because, because the, you know, it's, I don't know, we don't need more like uh, blonde hair, blue eyed white guys in the MCU, right? Yeah. So like, you know, it's just so exciting. And the fact that there's the space for that. And also, I mean, uh, people always bristle about, about representation because they think that it's like getting rid of their favorite characters or, or whatever. And I'm just like, guys, your favorite stories didn't go anywhere, right? You can read them over and over and over again. I read Walt Simonson's Thor run every single year. Um, I have a great big omnibus of it. Coloring could be better. But, you know, like I go back to my favorite stories. The fact that I might not like current stories has nothing to do with the, the stories that I love. You know, those, those become part of you. And that's why, like, like you said, like representation is so important because those stories become part of people's personal mythologies. You know, I don't think I don't think that superheroes are a modern uh, societal mythology because I think there's a lot of problems with superhero movies in general, and obviously, big corporations running things is weird, and so it's weird to to you know put too much on those things but in terms of personal mythology my favorite character is Darkhawk. that's a character nobody likes you know <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's really just because like it was a it was a comic book that my dad got me about a kid from queens who gets a magical amulet that turns him into like a cool guy with wings and a one wolverine claw that can fly you know like um so yeah i um i know that at least for me the way i look at people the fact that people find it really hard, you know, that this white hero is suddenly black or, or the Ghostbusters is suddenly women or the Doctor Who is now a woman. I think, I really think we shouldn't uh, give that too much uh, weight when we talk about it or when we, uh, in answering them, because the only way to change that is to change it. Mm-hmm. You, they have to see that this works both ways. And that's the only, you can't talk about it. You, you can't explain it. And it's also very close to, you know, when Twitter changes the way it does the like or heart, people go crazy because some geeks like us find it really, find the change really hard. So the only way to do it is to change it and see, okay, it's okay. So there are things where it, it is, you know, the lack of representation is a big thing. But the fact that we can change things and people uh, yell about it is something that changes 10 minutes later, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think Twitter has really made everything, made the discourse surrounding a lot of this stuff terrible. I mean, the way that we interact with social media has really, it used to be like, if you heard news about whatever casting or a character changing or whatever, you just were like, all right, I, I guess that's happening. I don't control this, right? Mm-hmm. But now we have gotten to the point where, one, because, because these movies make so much money, right? Because the industry is huge. Look at what happened with Sonic the Hedgehog, right? Everybody complained about the design of Sonic the Hedgehog, which was admittedly bad. But they complained about it enough, and then the studio changed it, and 
people who complain on the internet saw that as, oh, so I can complain about anything enough and then they'll change it because they, because it's mine and I own it because I like it and I spend money on it. We see this with Star Wars all the time. Say to my brothers, like they'll try to talk to me about Star Wars stuff. And I used to love Star Wars, but I'm so burned out on the discourse around Star Wars. Is it good? Is it bad? Doesn't matter. And I was like, there's a bunch of little kids who get to see Ray being a Jedi. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a bunch of little girls who love Star Wars now. That's awesome. You know? Mm-hmm. And like, and I said to my brothers, I was like, Star Wars isn't for us anymore. Like, that's okay. Like you can grow out of things. You can also watch the original movies, the ones that you like, you know? And, and I think that you're right. We do have to like not give any air to the people who are just like, I can't believe, you know, I don't know, Superman's black now or whatever, right? Like we don't need to give air to that, but it's, uh, but you're right. And you know, they just have to see like, no, look, this is what is happening. Deal with it. Or, and like, like it doesn't, it doesn't inherently change anything, right? For, mm-hmm. and I think, and a lot of times, right? It's always, it's always white people complaining um, because I think that, you know, we've always seen ourselves in everything, right? It's very easy for me to be like, oh, Peter Parker and Clark Kent, they all look like me. So that's, that's easy, right? And it's, and I think what's unfortunate is there's such a lack of empathy. There's such a lack of, such an inability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, right? That people suddenly are like, oh, well, that character doesn't look like me, so I can't relate to them. Um, and, I, you know, in a weird way to bring it back to Black Widow, I think it's interesting that she has stuck around for so long as this character with this sort of like dubious backstory. She's been kind of a villain before. She's a spy. So she's always double, you know, she's double agent and things like that. And also that, you know, you have, for a long time, you have primarily male comic book readers who like, you know, what is a, what is a woman in a, in a comic, right? She's either eye candy or, you know, unfortunately, or, or just like a background character, right? And, and yet. Or a girlfriend. Right, exactly. A girlfriend, a wife, exactly. Or, or somebody just a damsel to be, you know, uh, a damsel in distress. And, and, and I think that Black Widow, by her nature, in, the sto- in, 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 in her best stories, bucks the, all those trends. She's just as capable as any of the men that she's around. Um, she's, or more capable in some cases, right? Um, and the men around her do not, or tend to not belittle her. Obviously, certain eras of stories are a little bit different. You'll notice in my top 10 Black Widow stories, not a lot of older stories. And that's just because as much as I uh, love and respect Stan Lee's work, um, uh, not always the best in terms of uh, uh, di- writing dialogue for women. Um, uh, but, you know, so I think that that's one of the reasons that she's kind of maintained is because I guess no matter what male comic book readers had to be like, well, obviously she knows what she's doing and she does it better than most of the boys. So like she can hang, but it also gets into that kind of like toxic, like, you know, Oh, she's one of the guys like thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I think that's one of the things that she, that she got kind of the short end of the stick with the, the whole barren uh, 
plot line in, in, in Age of Ultron, where it's like her whole motivation is that like she can't have a baby. So she's really sad about it. And it's like, well, we have to have like more stories for women that are not that. And that are not to this like, obviously superheroes are always dealing with trauma, right? Especially Marvel heroes. But I think, uh, I think they kind of did her a little dirty in Age of Ultron um, with that, with that kind of plot line. Especially because it's not something that I I feel is like super central to the character. And I was never like Natasha Romanoff definitely wants to settle down. Like that's what she's been trying to do for years. And they just keep pulling her back in. Like, no, she kind of like likes her job, sort of, you know, um, again, she could retire at any point. She's got a lot of rich friends. I'm sure she'd be okay. Um, so. I, I didn't see it like that specifically. Who knows what they meant? I saw it as uh, they took away choice that she could have made and they invaded her body, they cut something out of it, uh, which, 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 which no one would feel good about. It's, it's an awful thing. And, uh, and basically some, the choice was taken from her. That's how I, I, not, not, I wanted, I would have settled down if I had done that, but they took it away from me. I, I, I hear, I hear what you're saying. I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a hard needle to thread because it's, I don't know, you wouldn't, I guess like it's because they would never do that story. They would never like be like, Oh, Bucky was sterilized and here's his plot line. It's just such a, like a, it's a little rote. I guess that's what I'm getting at. It's like, it's like, what's the, what, what, what plot line do we write for the one lady on the team? Oh, she can't have a kid, so she's sad about it. I I think that her having her agency taken away is really central to the character, right? Because because of the red room, because of her history, because of all these things, like it does make sense. And I see how they got there. It's just such like a for for a character that to that point we hadn't really gotten a sense of that. And I think that this is probably the a weakness of the Marvel movies giving solo films to all the male characters and then doing the Avengers and then just sort of like shoving her in, right? She's just sort of like, oh, I guess Hawkeye didn't get his own movie, but that's fine. Um, but like, she's, she's, a, she's, a, she's a side character in Iron Man 2 and then she just kind of pops up in Avengers like later. And so then they have to give her a plot, but she doesn't get, look how long it took her to get her own movie, you know, to flesh anything out. and. Um, so, so I hear you. I think that there's a good, there can be a really good exploration of like choice and agency. Um, I just think that I guess it just gets a little bit mishandled because it's in a, it's already in a very stuffed movie. Um, and so we don't really get to see that through. Um, and I guess it's like one of those weird things that it's, 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 it makes it all about how she relates and specifically in that movie, partly like, to her like love interest for that care for that movie to, to Bruce. Um, I don't know, it's a weird dynamic. It's a weird dynamic for a character who I've always felt that in the comics, I was like, oh, Natasha Romanoff could date anybody and like run circles around most of the men that she hangs out with. Like they can't, they have a hard time keeping up with her. So to put her in this, like in that position, I felt, I felt they could have done a little bit better by her, but there's time to there's time to fix things, I guess. Sure. Uh, I, well, it looks like they're, they're doing it. I just say one thing about that, which is probably not what they meant, but 
uh, if you look at society today, you don't get a lot of uh, men are, circum are somehow uh, um, circumcised against their will, but you do have societies where women are circumcised in a way that takes away uh, a lot of their agency. And that is a real thing. Um, it's not the same as circumcision, but it, it is it is a real thing uh, that happens only to women, basically. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, it doesn't take away the sexual desires. Um, anyway, let's move on from that. <laughs> uh, um, let's move on to uh, LGBTQ uh, comics, which I also saw. Uh, a really cool uh, piece that you did about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I get to do like a lot of these lists, like I said. So I got to do like the greatest LGBTQ uh, characters in comics, which was a which was a fun one. Even even those that did make it to the list, like what did you find is out there? Um, I mean, the thing that's that sucks is that there's not a ton of you know, we were talking about representation and, and, and sometimes you sort of have to, um, and people got mad at me for this piece, right? Because I'm, I'm pretty sure I put Wonder Woman on it. Yeah. Um, what? Why? I, I, put Wonder, I put Wonder Woman on the list and, and that one is to me like the most obvious, like, like you just take that as red, right? Like lives on, a, lives on an island full of women this just kind of makes sense, but people get really upset about it. And again, I think it's like one of those things where obviously, you know, people are becoming more accepting. I, I feel like we go through, I, we go through this like cycle every 20 years where like things start to get more accepting. Like I think even like in the nineties, we were like, Oh, like things are getting better. And then in America anyway, like, 9-11 happens, we get an extremely conservative regime in, and then everything felt like it went backwards, you know, 20 years. And, and then, you know, it comes back the other way and we start to come out of it. And then, you know, 20 years after 9-11, now we're talking about trans rights and bathroom bills and all this stuff. And the same kind of like, the same kind of like, uh, you know, alarmist kind of notions about like, you know, in the early 2000s, it was like, is this gonna turn your kid gay? And now it's like, is this gonna turn your kid trans? And it's like the same nonsense. And I think in, in comics, you know, I think creators have always been, um, I think it's safe to say that, especially in like, especially with Marvel, um, uh, being a lot of like, kind of college age hippies that end up writing, like reading Marvel comics in the sixties and seventies and then working for Marvel, like soon after that, right. Mm -hmm. um, that you get like, you know, the, these kind of like, oh, we can kind of make these characters queer in some way, shape and form. Maybe we can't, maybe the comics code doesn't allow us to stay it or whatever it is, but um, well, you know, we- something. But the comics code didn't allow uh, gay uh, characters. The co the comics code didn't allow a lot of stuff. The comics code like didn't allow um, certain horror things. Like you couldn't have like the reason Sauron is like a uh, is like a pterodactyl man vampire mm -hmm. 
It's because yeah. you couldn't have like a normal vampire because that like wasn't allowed. And then eventually like Marvel was like, like you, oh, you couldn't have like drugs in certain ways. Like, so you had to get like special approval to do like very special issues about, um, about drug use or whatever. So there was like a lot of stuff that you couldn't do for any, for any number of reasons. And I mean, some of it goes back to like Seduction of the Innocent, Frederick Wortham, 50s, like, look at Batman and Robin, they're obviously gay and it's turning the kids gay, you know? And like, and it's just like, I, I mean, I mean, Batman's pretty gay, but like pro- probably comic books are not turning anybody gay, like <laughs> specifically, <laughs> you know? Um, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, one of the things that I w- was really stressing with the, you know, the, the piece that I did was I was like, there are a lot of, um, very popular characters that are queer on some level. Um, uh, you know, Loki is on that list. Um, obviously, M- Marvel made a much bigger show of certain characters. North Star, you know, gets married on one of the covers of Astonishing X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, was a, that was a character that was introduced in the late 70s. You know, North Star introduced in the late 70s with every intent to be gay probably from the beginning. You know, they could, you know, Claremont uh, and, and John Byrne weren't really like showing, couldn't show that so much until, you know, we get his big I'm gay moment in the 90s. But um, there's, there's, you know, it's, it's if you kind of read between the lines a little bit. And I think that that's the frustrating thing about queerness in, in any sort of like mainstream fiction is when the prevailing, uh, when, when the prevailing kind of, societal outlook is like one of like homophobia and like you have to be closeted like how do you have these characters that you're writing or that you're reading like represent you in some way uh and so you look for anything like any little crumbs to figure out like if you can uh if 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 you're in there somewhere you know and i think it's especially you know we talked about superheroes being aspirational and like yeah like you know it can be frustrating then to if you're if you're queer and you just are only reading you know you're reading about characters that you love that you relate to but there's like this one thing that can't like you can't relate to right it's because like especially a book like spider-man right peter parker well maybe not the most aggressively straight character since you know anytime he hangs out with johnny storm you're like what's going on here um but but what's his whole deal? It's basically Archie comics, right? It's just Peter Parker and MJ and Gwen Stacy and any other number of women. And if you're a queer reader reading that, you're like, man, I really love Peter Parker. I relate to Peter Parker, but I just can't, this part of it doesn't, you know, doesn't, I don't relate to this in the same way or I don't see myself here in the same way. Um, and that can be, that can be kind of, sometimes that can be um, a bit of a barrier, I think. Right. Um, but, but I think we've gotten a lot better. I mean, obviously we've got Hulkling and Wiccan and, and I, I hope the MCU gets to kind of explore Wiccan more now that we've like seen him. Um, one of my favorite characters to include on that list was Coagula, um, which is from, uh, you know, she's like one of the only trans characters in comics. There are not many. Um, and she was from Rachel Pollock. Rachel Pollock's run on Doom Patrol following up after Grant Morrison. Um, and 
I mean, she's got a weird power. She she coagulates liquids and so, and can dissolve solids, and she just like doesn't make it into the Justice League. And but she's a queer trans woman written by a trans woman in a. I mean, Doom Patrol maybe not the most mainstream comic, but but pretty popular after Grant Morrison's run, you know. And um, uh, it's a shame that they still haven't collected uh, Rachel Pollock's work on that book, um, but. You know, the, the big one was people getting upset about Iceman being coming out. And I was like, first of all, who who are the big Iceman fans? Because I've been an X-Men fan my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah. And I've never had somebody be like, oh, yeah, the character that I love the most of all the X-Men, mm-hmm. arguably like a bunch of the coolest characters ever, is the guy that turned to ice. Who who gets a degree in accounting and lives on Long Island. Like, yeah, he never got any serious treatment in any way along the line. Well, and, that, and the thing is, is if you look at any time he's got serious treatment, he brings Rogue to his parents' house as his date. Okay, so the gay guy brings the girl he can't touch, quite literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, great. Total, total beard, right? Um, he is repeatedly in failed relationships with women like, you know, kind of throughout his stories, right? Things just sort of don't work out. Um, and it just like, I've had, I've had queer friends who kind of came out later, similar to Bobby coming out later. And they were like, oh, this is actually a story that I relate to. You can kind of like look back and see that all the signs were there. Um, and you just sort of can't put your finger on what it is. And so while I don't really like love the way that they had Iceman come out because Jean Grey just kind of like reads his mind and is like, bro. Um, <laughs> and I think that that kind of takes agency away from that moment. But at the same time, you don't really need to do another like North Star, I am gay moment either, right? Because um, that would seem a little overblown. Um, but what I really loved was like later in X-Men, I think it was X-Men 600, where younger Bobby and older Bobby have this discussion where like, Bobby has to really reconcile this thing that he's always kept secondary, right? The idea that like, well, sure, I'm gay, but like, it's more important for me to be a superhero. It's more important for me to be a teacher at the school. It's more important for me to be a mutant than it is for me to be gay. And so like, if that means that I have to sacrifice personal relationships and my personal happiness for this like greater goal, right? Xavier's dream and so be it. And I think that that's something that a lot of queer people can relate to, right? I don't want to lose my family. I don't want to lose my friends. I don't want to lose my job. Um, so I'm going to keep this part of myself hidden. And so I think retcons like that with characters where you can kind of already, the scaffolding's already there are so fun. And, and people got so upset about it, but I was just like, this makes Bobby interesting. This gives him like something to, this gives his story stakes now, you know? Um, in ways that maybe his stories did maybe have those if you decided to read them that way before, but now it's textual. Um, And so many writers have come out since and said like, oh, we kind of always wrote Bobby as like closeted. Like we kind of assumed something was going on there. Maybe we didn't put it in text because we couldn't or we didn't know how to best do that or we didn't know if readers would respond to it. But we sort of always had this idea that there's a reason that, you know, that either he's queer or something's going on, you know? Um, so, so I don't know. I, I like really love retcons like that if they're done well. I did. And I, and I, 
I, I have a soft spot for those time displaced X-Men stories. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a bit of a apologist for that era of X-Men. Um, cause I, I, I enjoy a Brian Michael Bendis book from time to time. So, um, I, I had a lot of fun with them. And also I, I, my favorite character on the X-Men is Cyclops because I hate myself, I guess. Um, but so like Iceman fans out there, you can rag on me for liking literally arguably the most boring, uh, X-Men, but, uh. I just, I just flashed back, I think, to uh, someone in the 90s, maybe, or the early 2000s, uh, when Peter David wrote X Factor, I think Richter was gay. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that all. Yeah, Richter, mm-hmm. and, and honestly, that's something that got explored more, that's gotten explored a lot more recently, you know, with Shatterstar, him and Shatterstar, and, and Shatterstar is such a good, like a, Richter and Shatterstar's relationship is so interesting, because Shatterstar being this Again, I mean, we love comics. We love like a mysterious past or putting duty before yourself or, you know, and so like Shatterstar also sort of like learning how to be more human because he had only lived in Mojo World and he like lived to fight and be a TV star. And he kind of like learns about humanity and intimacy and, and stuff through his relationship with Richter, um, which is so fun. It's so fun to see. And also some of these characters too, you just have to kind of look at them and go like the, the very famous, uh, I guess, or infamous um, Wolverine cover with Nightcrawler where he's just na- buck naked on the cover, uh, the Isad Rebeck um, mm-hmm. cover that like got through, it just got through editorial and like they thought it was funny, like the, the writer and artist and, and it's like, and it's, and you know, so it's a Wolverine sitting at a table and he's got, he's holding a beer kind of on his crotch. And we see, we see um, Nightcrawler, Nightcrawler standing and, he, but we see the back of Nightcrawler and it's just clear that he's naked. And so we're just like, what's going on here? And it's like, Wolverine's existed for like 150 years. Guy's got, guy's gotten around. Like he's tried some things out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, um, I, I think it's like, I don't know. I always encourage people to have the, especially those like head cannons. Although I guess now it's more canon now that on up on uh, Mars, Scott, Gene and Wolverine, you know, share a room essentially. <laughs> mm. Um, you know, it's just like, yeah, if it makes the characters more interesting, like that's awesome. And I always, I'm, I'm always for more textual evidence of people being queer because I think that like we've, I don't know, we've had to like scramble for crumbs for so long, right? But to just get like, I don't know, to get an on-panel kiss, like that was one of the things that sucked so much about um, Avengers Infinity War, right? Where the Russos were like, oh, we have a, we've got a queer character on screen for the first time in MCU. And it's literally one of them just saying in that, in that, um, in that like support meeting that he like misses his boyfriend. It's just a random no-name character. And it's like, all right, this is crumbs. Like, this is not representation. Like, this mm-hmm. is just, this is you trying to check a box and have an answer for the interview. When they say like, are there any queer characters? And it's like, well, maybe, you know, wait and see. And it's like, nah, just like, who cares? Make Bucky gay, it doesn't matter, right? Like it doesn't inherently change that character very much. And especially the MCU versions of these characters because they have a lot less history, right? I can sort of, I don't want to give any, again, I don't want to give any like 
um, any air to the argument, but I understand when people get upset about a character going through any sort of change, even if it's like a, a costume change, right? When they've existed for, for like 50, 60, 70 years. MCU characters are basically blank slates though, you know, and they're combinations of characters that we know, you know, mm -hmm. even Star-Lord, a character where if you read the run that the Guardians of the Galaxy movies are based on, at the beginning, when Annihilation was going on, Star-Lord is not a cool 80s music listening guy. He's like a, he's like a general in an army, you know, like that character is vastly different. Um, from from he ended up being vastly different from from where he started you know so I, I think that we just have to be open to these to, to new interpretations and also like if any if any writers have like a reasoning for something i mean one of my favorite favorites is um headcanon-y kind of things and i think it's been talked about a little bit on like uh, jay miles explain the x-men and some other you know x-men podcasts but um is the idea of havoc being a trans woman um, like a closeted trans woman, Have because a, having been a trans woman, or like 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 being a being a trans woman, but like having but not being out yet, right? Okay. That like so many things in Havoc's lived experience to this point line up with what like many trans women experience, and and it would just it wouldn't it wouldn't not make sense for Havoc to come out suddenly, right? You could basically mm -hmm. connect the dots because these characters have existed for so long. And so I think that that's the thing when people like, are well, like, oh, seen him as a child. what was seen that? We've seen Havoc as a child. Right, well, and that's the thing. We've seen Havoc through so many different eras. We've seen Havoc, right, from being a, a kid to being in college, to being on the Avengers. Like we've seen so many different versions of Havoc at this point. And, and I think that that's the thing that people forget is that these characters are always changing at all times. and and, but if you, but so you can always connect the dots to get them to the place that whatever writer who has a good idea needs to get them. Um, and if that provides like visibility and representation for somebody, and if like, somebody's like, man, I, I really like relate to, you know, if there's some trans woman out there who's like, wow, I really relate to Havoc. And then Havoc comes out as a trans woman, then they go, oh, maybe this is why, because there was all this evidence here where this yeah. person, this character's experience was similar to mine in so many in so many ways, um, and I just think that's awesome. And I think like it's the kind of thing that, especially right now, like with the current era of X Men, X Men characters, I'm surprised they're not like swapping genders and stuff all the time. Like it feels like uh, it feels like a, it feels like the time for it, since the five can like kind of create bodies and things like that. Um, feels like something Quentin Quire would do. Um, and, and it's something that we saw even with like Loki during JMS's Thor run, right? Where he basically, he does take Sif's body. So like that part, the agency, we can always go back to the agency thing with female characters, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, it, they, get, they get robbed of agency frequently. Um, but I guess in that case, like Loki is being a villain. So villains are going to do bad things. We got to allow for that. But it was like, kind of like interesting because then people were like, oh no, my favorite version of Loki is Lady Loki. And then it was just normal, like, oh, right. Loki can just change genders, change forms. Um, Agent of Asgard has, a, has some great bits about that and really explores that, that idea and explores the idea of like kind of the old guard versus like the new interpretation, right? Old Loki hates new young Loki because old Loki feels 
that he was prescribed to a certain role. He was prescribed to be this villain. He was prescribed to be this trickster. This was what everybody's expectation of him was. And young Loki is like, I can do whatever I want, you know? And it's the, it is the, um, it's, it's so similar to how old, older closeted queer people who are like, well, I never got to explore my gender identity or sexuality in this way when I was young because of the time period or these responsibilities that I felt and younger generations just like, I mean, I guess we see it a lot now, right? With like, we see it in, in sort of TV shows, but also even on like social media where just like Gen Z doesn't care. They're going to wear whatever they want to wear and they don't, they don't care about gender roles and anything like that. And there is an old guard that sees that as like, oh, it's this, you know, the emasculinization of, of men and the sort of like, I don't know, whatever, whatever these crazy conservative talking points are, they don't matter though. It's just like ultimately like doesn't matter. But if it allows you to like be your truest self, like that's what's most important. Um, the roles that we prescribe by society and by our family and by, um, by others really shouldn't matter, right? And Agent um, of Asgard, Loki Agent of Asgard, good, good, good book for that, um, to, for exploring that idea. I wish it was a little bit longer, um, selfishly. But uh, I don't know. I think that this is, I guess, to circle this all back around. Like, I mean, this is the beautiful thing about comics. These characters have existed for a really long time. Um, so we're able to tell a huge range of stories with them. Um, and, and sort of in a world where seemingly anything can happen, right? You could be an alien scroll. You could, we turn scrolls into cows. Uh, Galactus exists, you know, uh, is it so crazy that there's a few more queer characters that there's a few more, uh, you know, bisexual character, like a star Lord came out recently as bi, like, is that so crazy? He lives in space. Like, I'm sure he's fucked every manner of, of, of alien, regardless of gender. I'm sure gender doesn't even matter on alien planets. Like, how do you, when you, when you dig into it, you're just like, yeah, I guess like, this all just makes sense. You know, um, in a world of, in worlds of gods and monsters, like we should have queer people. Like that just makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And at, at the end of the day, you know, I think what's hard for people who don't like it to see is that because it makes sense that they just because you know there are bi people, there are trans people, there are gay people, and why shouldn't they be equally represented at the very least in everything that's shown to you? And the reason uh, some people have a problem with that, I'm guessing now, is maybe they would not like to face the fact that these people exist. I don't want to see them. Anyway, I think the last thing you said is uh, amazing. It's a really great thing to close on. It's like a big, huge statement. Uh, <laughs> I'm very good at rambling. <laughs> listen, it was a really fascinating conversation. I would love to have you on again to talk about kinds of... Hey, listen, anytime. I, I, I'm good at talking, so... Um, and I feel like we just scratched the surface of this kind of, with this we kind did. of stuff. You know, um, I think that it's... It's very interesting, the characters that we see become the most popular characters in a way, um, you know, especially as we talk about like, 
the Loki show was just on, right? And uh, the idea of variance, the idea that there's a Loki who is a woman, uh, you know, um, a character like Harley Quinn, who's like just been pretty canonically bisexual from the jump, you know, even in her appearances in Batman in the animated series. You know, we get, we get told all the time that like, well, these are characters for kids and we can't show this to kids and sexuality is not for kids. And it's like, okay, yes, there are limits to these things. However, kids understand what a husband and wife is. Kids see kissing in Disney movies. Just because it's queer people doesn't mean that it's something that is obscene. And if you think it is, this is a lot more about you than it does about the material itself, right? Um, so, oh, I mean, like I, I could go on forever about this. I, I, I think that you're right. People don't want to admit that certain things exist. Maybe it makes them uncomfortable. I think that, again, like what we you hear a lot, like, well, I don't have a problem with it. I just don't want to see it flaunted in front of me. And it's like, queer people have to see straight people making out and stuff all the time what, what, why why doesn't that go both ways right like I, I, you go to the park you'll see you'll see couples holding hands what, what does it matter what their genders are right so oh i think we're slowly i mean i don't know i think this 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 i don't know it's a, it's a it's a change your hearts you got to change your hearts you know and i hope that through stories we're able to change hearts um, these stories change people and they show to kids and to grown-ups what life can be and what other people are, people other than yourselves and also what you are. But also history is a pendulum. And it swings one way and then it swings the other way. And it swings this way. And that's, that's history. It's uh, kind of a law of nature. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's on one hand encouraging right? Because when things seem really terrible, you can only hope, well, it'll swing back the other way. But then when things start to get better, you just feel like you're waiting for the bottom to, to drop out a little bit, which is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. um, and, but, but it's like you said, I mean, it, that is just history. And I, I think that the older I get, my goal is always to, I don't know, to write pieces like that iconic LGBTQ characters thing. Is it going to piss people off that I put Wonder Woman on it? Yes. Do I care? No. Mm -hmm. Do we have to reckon with the fact that this is part of that character's history? Yes. Um, and like everybody should reckon with that. That's part of the character's history. And, and in a lot of ways, you know, these are characters that are going to outlive us all, you know? Um, and so it's important that even those small, you know, those portions of their histories are not erased because people decide 20 years from now that they don't like them you know obviously if it's something problematic we want to get rid of it right or explain it away but when it's matters of representation like i don't know you, that it's just so important for the, those things to be for people to be reminded of them right um and to to be forced to reckon with them because it's not just wonder woman there are real people there are real queer people out there and, you should, you should have to reckon with our existence as well. Final word. That's great. <laughs> Listen, thank you very much. This really is. It's a great way to end uh, the thing. Um, thank you very much. It was really a fascinating conversation. And I would like to have you on again, if it's okay. 
Like, like Thank a, you. Yeah, let me know anytime, anytime. Like a good recurring character. We wait a few episodes and then ask you again. You know. Sure, sure, sure. That'd be great. That'd be great. And I, I promise by next time I'll watch the Black Widow movie. So uh, I can probably chime in about that a little bit more. I'm oh, a little bit. Good thing I didn't spoil it for you. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, I haven't gotten it. I just want to go see it at the movies. I don't want to pay for it on Disney. Plus. Yeah, no, no. Watch so. it. I saw it once, then I saw it because I. I haven't been to the theater with my wife for like a year or something. And uh, so I went with my, it was the only good movie that uh, there was out there. And, uh, we wanted to take a kid, which I just finished showing all the Marvel movies, the eldest kid oh, nice. was 11, uh, but we wanted some time for ourselves. So the next day I went with my 11 year old girl and she, you could see how amazing it was for her and how, important she she grows up in a place where that's how we teach her she can do anything there's no first we taught her she could do anything and she's the best and she's great and later on when she was slightly older we taught her about history and how people inexplicably treated women like they couldn't do anything and, you know you walk them out of history and uh, all kinds of stuff and it, you could see in her eyes, you could see her stuff going on here exploding when she watched watch the movie. And it was so important. And yeah, it's a, it, it's a, a great movie, movie, by the way. So. I, I, I'm very excited. It's, it was a very odd year to go, like, a, I was Marvel intern in to, to, uh, 2010. So, like, the MCU was still in its early stages. And, like, it's so crazy to see where it's gone. Like I remember being at the office when they, when they like, were like, oh, we're gonna do Guardians of the Galaxy. Like it got announced. It wasn't gonna come out for four more years, but they announced it. And mm. I was like, they're gonna do Guardians of the Galaxy? Like, are people ready for this? Like we hadn't even had an Avengers movie yet. We hadn't even had right. it was a Captain America movie at that point, right? So like many movies we could do yet and before Guardians of the Galaxy. And yeah. I was like, Guardians of the Galaxy, like how are we even gonna, I was like, they gotta do the, Cabinet and Landing Run, because they gotta do Rocket Raccoon and Groot. Like, they gotta, right? But like, this seems crazy. And, and it, it's just so fun. I, I have so many friends who just, who, you know, I have a huge bookshelf with tons of comics and action figures and stuff. And people are always like, oh, you're the comics guy, right? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, oh, well, I only watch the movies. And I'm like, hell yeah, that's awesome. And they're like, what? And I'm like, you're a fan too. Cool. We like the same characters. That's awesome. Like, and then they'll just ask me questions. And it's so much fun to just be like, oh, so here's who this character is. So this is what they did in the comics. And like, you should read this or you should check this out. Or, you know, um, oh, it's just, it's the best. But kid, watching kids get excited about stuff. I, I coach a hockey team of like 10 year olds and they get, so I have to go to one, it's their, one of the kids' birthdays today. I have to go to a birthday party. But, um, but like, they get so excited to do things, to learn stuff. And I don't know, it just like, it just warms my heart. It just warms my heart. Just cause like, I remember being 10 years old and being like the coolest thing in the world is Spider-Man and the Ninja Turtles. Mm -hmm. And to see like kids who the same way, they're like the coolest thing in the world is Iron Man and Black Widow and the Avengers. I'm just like, hell yeah, this is the best. Like, this is what, this is why I still care about this shit. It's just because like, it's just embedded in my DNA at this point. And so it's so fun to see other people enjoying it. And that's why it's like such a bummer when people are getting so upset about things on the internet, because you're just like, we could just all be enjoying this together. We could just all be enjoying it.
Uh, I've been we... waiting for good movies, good superhero movies, and good science fiction movies and fantasy movies since the 70s, since Star Wars <laughs> first came out. And you had to wait, you watch anything but science fiction or fantasy or yeah. superheroic, and you would wait through so much garbage. And suddenly, yeah. every movie they come out with is great. And there are other movies which are also good. There's great science fiction movies, great science fiction series. And, the latest Marvel series are amazing. And um, I've been waiting for this for 40 years. So, you know. it's, it's something I said to my dad. I was like, he's a big, his two characters are Thor and Captain America. Those are his two big ones. Um, and so I, I, he, gifted, he gave me a lot of his old comics. He had close to full runs of both. Um, so I'm finishing them up. But I said to him, I was like, dad, did you ever think that like, we were going to go to a Captain America movie. Like I know that one came out in 1990 with Matt Salinger, JD Salinger's son is Captain America. That movie sucks. Mm -hmm. And he goes, he goes, honestly, he's like, I have no words. He's like, I just never thought he's like, even in the early two thousands, when we got like Spider-Man and the X-Men, I was blown away. Like I couldn't believe it. And now we get like all of this and they wear the, the costumes are colorful and they look like the comics and we're getting like, Thanos and like crazy space stuff and he's like this is insane he's like I could never have guessed that this would happen you know and ah I, it's just the most fun I, I recently my my one of my high school ex-girlfriend's sister's kid is like 10 years old and his mom messaged me and was like hey my my, my son's getting really into comics I don't know anything about them. Can he message you on Instagram just to talk about comics? I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. And so this kid who messaged me, he's 10 years old. His favorite character is Adam Warlock. I was like, how, how is that your favorite character? Doesn't even make any sense. He's technically not showing up in any of the movies yet. Like you love Adam Warlock. Super weird for a 10 year old in 2020 to love Adam Warlock, but he just loves Adam Warlock. He, it was, he got, I guess he was on like superhero squad or something when he was like five and he was just mm -hmm. like, that guy looks cool. And so I said to his mom, I was like, Hey, I got a bunch of old comics. I'm never going to read them again. Probably. Does he want them? And she was like, what? And I was like, I'll give you 600 books for free. Just, you have to take them off my hands. They're, they're my mom's basement. She's mad about it. And she was like, really? I was like, yeah this kid's face when I was like, oh, here's all of Ultimate X-Men. Here's like uh, Infinity Watch. Here's like this. And he was just like, I can have all of these. And I was like, yeah, man. I was like, I expect a full report though on every single issue. So you better get reading. But I was like, here, have these, go to the comic book store. Like, like get into it. Like, it's so fun. And he was just like, thank you so much. Like, I wouldn't even know where to start with any of this. Like, and so I was like, cool, I'm never going to read those again. Like those single issues, I've, I probably bought them already in, in, in trades. But now this kid is going to like, I told him, I was like, hey, some of these are ones that I had when I was your age. So the goal here is you got to share them with your brother and you got to share them with somebody else. And that's it. And we just share this thing because we all love it together. You know, and that's the, that's the best part. I mean, that's why it's so fun being a superhero fan, being a comics fan. Amazing. Thank you so much to Pierce Leiden. You can find Pierce's articles on gamesradar.com. That's games, 
radar.com. That was a truly fun conversation. If all goes well, according to my evil plan, he will come back like a recurring character. I don't think we covered even a quarter of uh, what we could have covered, what we should have covered. So uh, more to come. Geekdom in Pals releases three episodes a week on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. If there was an eighth day, we would have we would do it on eighth day too. So we have uh, another episode coming in two days where we tackle indie comics. And again, the conversation has surprises in it. So if you want to contact me about this episode, other episodes, if you want to suggest more guests, or if you want to say anything for any reason, email me at guy.hasson, that's G-U-Y dot H-A-S-S-O-N, as in nerd, at geekdomempowers.com. Geekdomempowers, one word, no spaces or hyphens or dashes. Check out our website, geekdomempowers.com. Our Twitter and Instagram are at geekdomempowers. Again, no hyphens or spaces. My name is Guy Hassan, and I will see you next episode. For now, have an empowered day.